0: Greetings and salutations, my friends. A very happy Monday to one and all. Hope all is well with you and yours. A jam-packed show that got even more jam-packed after what you just heard in the news. and What you heard with Rob just a few minutes ago is more reaction pouring in over a high-profile minister within Justin Trudeau's cabinet saying, I'm not taking it anymore. We'll be getting more reaction in just a second to this story. Some of the other stories we're working on today, it is Fraud Awareness Month this March. And so we're going to chat with Calgary police about the what we should be all keeping in mind. I liken this to news you can use. We hear the warnings all the time, but it's especially with frauds, there's all kinds going around and they're always evolving And so we'll chat with the uh, Calgary Police Service just about the the different roles that are being played out there and how we should all be kind of keeping an eye out for for each other, one but for ourselves and making sure that we're not falling victim to any of the numerous, whether it's the door to door, whether it's the phone scams, the Internet scams, you name it, they're all out there. So uh, we'll do a little bit more digging into that after four o'clock. Also after four o'clock. We'll chat about real estate, in particular, commercial real estate. New report coming out late last week, diving into all the major metropolitan areas in our country. Calgary in particular, no real big shock when it comes to everybody knowing about the numbers surrounding the downtown vacancy rates and that kind of thing. That being said, there is some hope, I think, in this report in terms of, hey, there are some fledgling industries that are coming up and ready to uh, at least take over some of that real estate. We'll chat about that a little after four o'clock as well. We'll also dive into uh, I really enjoyed it over the last couple of weeks, talking to some of the athletes from the Canada Games held in Red Deer over the last couple of weeks. And I wanted to do a bit of an overview of how things went in Red Deer. The game's wrapping up on Saturday. So we'll be chatting with one of the organizers for the games to see how their perspective is following the last couple of weeks. Even in just some random conversations with different people within the sporting industry, but also uh, around the city of Red Deer. A lot of people were really excited about the not just the games and, and the level of... Uh, athleticism that you're seeing out there from the different sports, but also from how the community was galvanized and everybody was in in uh, trying to help out, volunteers and all that kind of thing. So really looking forward to that conversation as well. But the topic du jour happens to be Jane Philpott. And we're going to through the course of the show we're gonna uh, check back in with Mercedes Stevenson after five o'clock to get a little bit more on the reaction front. Uh, obviously you heard from Andrew Shear just a short time ago. We'll replay some of that tape as well. Uh, also get you a little bit on what is uh, what has transpired in terms of what the Prime Minister's office has to say uh, about the resignation as well and I don't it's one of those things that do you take it with a grain of salt because it's just one person? The one thing that I, do, I will say before we get to our, our first guest on this topic is if this were the Harper government, how would the liberals be reacting? I just want you to think about that for a second. Let's say, let's say Shell had some charges and they were thinking they were going to leave if they couldn't get out of it. And so they went to the Harper government and said, listen, we need you to help out. What do you think the level of outrage would be from... Ontario, Quebec. So for those who are questioning, oh, why is it such a big deal? Put the shoe on the other foot for a second and really wrap your head around it. That's why there is so much outrage here in Alberta. That's why there's so much outrage in Saskatchewan. That's why there's outrage across Western Canada. And if you look across the, the headlines in Montreal, that and... It's it's not that they're downplaying it, but there's this what did you expect them to do? So yeah, a little bit of maybe a little bit of hypocrisy playing through is gonna it really sets the stage for what's about to come on Wednesday with Gerald Butts, that's for sure. Watch out, Lori Williams about some of the political implications of this up next here on Calgary Today. more the reaction side of it we go to laurie williams uh thanks so much for joining us today laurie oh it's my pleasure joe Uh, let's start with today's bombshell how do you see this all playing out now
1: uh well this is a a huge problem um as you mentioned jane philpot is one of the stars of the uh of the government and the cabinet um worked extensively with Jody Wilson-Raybold and, and was clearly supportive of her and has been supportive of her from from uh, the beginnings of this uh, coming to light Uh, When she was Minister of Health, she worked on a physician-assisted dying. Um, She uh, was involved in legalization of marijuana and and Indigenous health care issues, and all three of those uh, she worked very closely with Jody Wilson-Raybould and has a great deal of respect for her and has been supportive of her consistently, Um, as has Carolyn Bennett. Just take another example, and I'll be watching closely to see if Carolyn Bennett might also um, make a similar move. What I don't understand yet is what she's trying to indicate, why does she nor Jody Wilson-Raybould have left the Liberal Party? Uh, they obviously don't think that it's um, irretrievably broken or that, that they can't do some meaningful work as part of the Liberal Party or part of of the government more broadly. And, of course, Jody Wilson-Raybould is running for election um, next time around. So the question, I guess, becomes um, you know, what changes have to happen to restore their confidence um, because there, clearly there's something, it's just a question of what that is. Uh, would the changes uh, involve removal of some of the people that Jody Wilson-Raybould has identified? And does it require the removal or the resignation of the, of the prime minister? Does um, this mean that there's a very deep sh- uh, split within the party? I mean, it's just not quite clear what the fallout is going to be at this stage of the game. And and part of the problem is that we don't know all of the details. Mm -hmm. We don't know um, and will not know what exactly happened with respect to the appropriateness of a deferred prosecution in this case. And the argument that we're often hearing is this allows the guilty executives who committed wrong to be punished without having negative impacts on innocent third parties like employees, shareholders, suppliers, and so forth. Um, there's obviously a reason why some people think that a deferred prosecution was appropriate and a reason why some people think that it was inappropriate, and those are reasons we can't know about. And that complexity, I think, has has interfered with, with uh, people really understanding um, what wrong or degree of wrong, I guess I should say, has, has, a, has occurred here. And that's, that's just, I, I, I don't think we're going to have a clear answer to. So this is, mm-hmm. looks to me like it's going to get worked out from within the Liberal Party, um, Liberal Cabinet, the Liberal Caucus in particular, and uh, I think it's going to require some kind of fundamental shift in terms of the government's response. just don't know what that's going to look like or what will be enough.
0: Mm-hmm. When you look at that letter that was penned by Jane Philpott, anything stand out to you?
1: Oh, yeah, I mean, this. this the idea that that um, she's got to stand by her principles, that there's something deeply wrong with the way the government um, has handled this, uh, that she can no longer, uh, in conscience, stay as a member of the cabinet under the circumstances. So we know that she thinks there was wrong done on the part of some people in this SNC-Lavalin matter um, and that she doesn't like the way the government has been handling it. But again, beyond that, the specifics, we don't know. Uh, if the government changed the way that it handled that, um, possibly she could uh, she could rejoin cabinet, but that i I'm guessing it would take a fairly substantial shift in terms of how things have been handled so far, and it, it I think undoubtedly is going to require the resignation or removal of some of the
0: people that have been involved. What does this say about what's happening within the party? And what does this say about what the future may have in store for the liberals in terms of what they need to do?
1: It's very difficult to know what they can do. um, Because we don't yet know um, precisely, I guess, who it is that she's pointing her finger at. I mean, she's saying she can't be in cabinet. There are clearly some people there that she cannot... Uh, in conscious continue to work with and and until we have a better sense of that I think um, I think that's going to be a difficult question to answer Uh, up until this point a lot of people have expressed surprise that there hasn't been a split within the within the caucus and within the cabinet that it looked like they'd rallied together and were trying to to accomplish something um, more positive to fix whatever the problem was and move forward this clearly is not that the split has finally happened. It's no longer it's no longer something that um, that there's unity around. Um, and again, it's difficult at this stage to know exactly what would be required. Um, you know, I think three things are involved here. The first is the is the initial actions that led to the the scandal happening in the first place. The second is the government's dealing with it. and in particular, some of the whisper campaign that's been against Jody Wilson-Raybould, and that may be a big part of what's going on here. She may have thought that the, the, the Prime Minister has not been strong enough um, against that. And then the third part um, is uh, those officials... And again, we're not clear who it is. It might be the Prime Minister. It might be, well, Gerald Gerald Butts has already resigned, so it might be some of the others that are involved in this. It might involve other Cabinet Ministers. Um, but I think we're going to have to see a change at the top. Uh, how far to the top it goes is un- unclear at this point, but a change at the top is, I think, the minimum. A bit more trans- transparency about exactly what's going on here is necessary. Um but uh, they may not be able to recover from this. I mean, this is this is very serious and very deep.
0: I know you took a moment to listen to Andrew Shear's comments and some mm-hmm. of the questions and answers that he took part in. What did you take away, or what was your main takeaway from his session just a short time ago?
1: Well, I will say, up until this point, I think Andrew Shear has not been very effective at dealing with this. He's been calling for uh, things that don't make a lot of sense, and um, I, mean, I think the, that. Um, J- Jody Wilson-Raybould's testimony spoke for itself, and and some of the things that he was saying um, went further than they needed to. I think uh, today in the conference uh, news conference, he focused much more on repeating the key things mm-hmm. that she said. Um, he 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 talked about the. Um, The things that he's talked about before, things like like chaos and corruption and so forth, and those haven't had much resonance, I don't think, up until this point. But I think he made a very good point in in that he said that he urges others to look at what uh, Jane Philpott has done and why, Um, uh, and that it's time for every liberal, Liberal cabinet minister to ask whether you became part of this government, whether you ran for office to support this kind of, of thing. And then he said that Canadians will know, um, if they remain, that um, that they don't stand against this kind of thing. So that's a, I think that was a pretty profound challenge that he brought um, to them. It's going to put more pressure on those that are within Cabinet and uh, and on the leadership to try to figure out if they can at all how to how to uh, respond to this more openly um, and more effectively, mm-hmm.
0: Laurie? Thank you so much for the time today. I do appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure, Joe. Laurie Williams at MRU uh, talking about the latest in the saga around the SNC Lavalin controversy, as Jane Philpott announcing that she is stepping away from cabinet. She will stay on as the MP, though. Uh, She says her resignation is in support of former Attorney General Jody Wilson-Raybould, who also quit cabinet. She says she felt pressured by Trudeau and his insiders to help stop the Quebec engineering firm from facing criminal charges for alleged bribery in Libya. What do you think? 403-974-8255. I can take a couple of calls next here on Calgary Today. March is Fraud Awareness Month and the Calgary Police Service amongst a number of other agencies were out and about over the weekend sharing some tips and tricks on how to avoid getting swindled in the future and joining us now to help us wrap our heads around some of the big uh, frauds that are taking place not only in our city and our country but across the world is uh, Sergeant Matt Fredrickson with the Calgary Police Service. Sergeant, thanks so much for the time today. Thank you very much for having me. Walk us through maybe some of the bigger fraud issues that are popping up that your section are having to deal with on a day-to-day basis?
2: Well, in terms of uh, just pure amount, uh, numbers of frauds occurring, probably our biggest one in Calgary has to do with uh, where the bad guys are stealing people's wallets or credit cards, and then they are just going around and using the credit card tap function Mm -hmm. to sort of commit frauds at businesses.
0: How are they getting a hold of the wallets? Is it just a matter of, you know, going into locker rooms or that kind of thing or are they out in plain view? What's sorta of any any anything that the average person can take away and go, you know, maybe I shouldn't do that?
2: Well we certainly recommend that you don't leave your wallet or your purse in your vehicle if it's unattended. Um or um, you know, just being aware of of where it is and it's not sitting on the shopping cart if you're walking away from it. Um, and, yeah, obviously we do get some as well, uh, you know, where they've broken into the vehicle. It might be locked, but they're still breaking into it or breaking into the uh, the locker at the gym or something like that. So it's not always preventable. But, you know, one of the big takes away, takeaways is to uh, just try and keep it um, uh, with you at all times.
0: It's one of the challenges, I think, especially you mentioned the TAP. Um uh, technology is as mu- as easy as it is to use and as you know, user-friendly as it is, it does come with a downside, doesn't it?
2: Well, it certainly makes it easier for an uh, you know, offender to commit uh, multiple frauds because um, they can go in and don't have to produce ID, don't have to know the pen for it as long as it's under the uh, set dollar value. So it does encourage them to commit the other offenses
0: to obtain those, those credit cards to use. How important is it for the average consumer, especially if you're uh, you use your bank card on a regular basis or your your credit card for that matter, to be checking that uh, your your statements online if you can as often as possible, just to make sure that there's nothing out of whack? Because you don't want to wait until you know the mail version comes in and, and a month has gone by before uh, you actually notice that something's gone awry.
2: Yeah, with uh, with checking your credit and stuff like that, one of the things that we recommend you do is uh, you can always check with Equifax or TransUnion. And although uh, it's not going to be for your credit card receipt necessarily, um, that does get into where we see the, the greatest number of uh, dollar value loss is in our identity thefts, where someone has taken your identity, taken a document or something with your information on it and gone out and applied for credit in your name.
0: There's a lot of talk, obviously, about the online sphere as well, whether it's people that are uh, able to get a hold of your information, that kind of thing. Any tips or tricks for those who listening who are sitting there trying to figure out how to safeguard themselves uh, from that online theft?
2: Yeah, just be really cautious about uh, you know, where you're putting your personal data and what, what kind of personal data you're putting out there. So on any sort of social media website, you want to be cautious about um, exactly the details that you're putting on. Uh, you don't need to put your birthday on. You don't need to put, you know, where you're living necessarily. And then it's just, uh, you know, with, with, your, uh, with your identity. Otherwise, it's shredding documents, you know, that come to you in the mail um, and just not uh, being cautious about what
0: you're leaving out behind you. How difficult is it to track the online criminals who are perpetrating these kinds of offenses? Well, it can
2: certainly be a challenge because uh, the frauds nowadays are like international in in scope so it it takes very little effort for a fraudster in another country to have cheap or or uh, extremely low cost phone access to canada to to try and perpetuate the frauds and just the you know the methods of payment where bitcoin or or um, you know money transfers uh, it's very easy to get that out of country so it becomes a challenge for sure um, to track down offenders you know, once they're determined to be out of out of country.
0: One of the things uh, a couple of years ago, I remember being a reporter and, and one of the things that was really uh, talked about a lot was the the debit and credit machines and how the sophisticated criminals were going in and able to swap something in or even on the gas station uh, spots, they were able to swap in and out um, the little readers. Is that still an issue that you guys are coming across?
2: Well, skimming devices certainly uh, still exist. Um, one of the considerations for a skimming device is, uh, if you cover your pin, you're going to reduce the likelihood that they're going to be able to use your data. Mm-hmm. So with a skimming device, there'll often be a small little pill- pinhole camera. And so by covering up your pin, you should always cover your pin, conceal your pin. And, uh, that way it's, uh, much less likely that they're going to be
0: able to use your data for anything, um, Afterwards on that front, are there any others that are sort of percolating? Are there issues that you guys are starting to see from Calgarian standpoint that you you want people to be aware of so that they are keeping that extra eye out there?
2: Well, it's a challenge I mean there's so many different variants to the frauds um, so you know we can we can sort of say watch out for this fraud, but then it, it just changes or mutates or there's another one out there. So the big takeaway is, if you uh, something's someone's calling you, or you receive an email or a, a text message, and it's making you feel uncomfortable, or you're not sure about it, we just uh, suggest that you talk to someone that you trust. So talk to a friend, a family member, a coworker, and explain what is happening. And often, uh, through that conversation, where they're not really emotionally invested in in what's going on, uh, you'll discover that it's a fraud or it's
0: an attempt to get your personal information. Especially the, the grandparent scams and that kind of thing is that, you know, if you don't feel pressured into uh, doing something right off the bat, because I mean, that's what they're preying on is if you're not that certain, you might want to make a couple of phone calls first.
2: Yeah, you know, anytime that uh, someone is creating anxiety in the call and that's, you know, the grandparent scams where they're saying they've been involved in an accident or something like that, um, you know, really take a moment and uh, and verify the information. So you hang up with them and then you can call um, independently to your family
0: and, and find out whether or not something has actually occurred. When it comes to being in those phone calls, then what would you recommend for people to do outside of just hanging up? Is there anything they can do to maybe help you guys in your investigations?
2: Well, if you identify that it's a fraud, we absolutely ask that you hang up. And then uh, if, uh, if you haven't be, been victimized by it, you can report the information to someone like the Canada, Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre. But and if you have been victimized, then obviously report it to the police. But uh, yeah, we just ask that you don't t- try and engage the caller. You don't try and find out any further information.
0: Um, just uh, it's best to once you sort of figure out that something's not right, to just hang up. Well, final line of questioning on this is the door-to-door scams, which I know are, are still a prevalent one. Uh, any words of advice on that front?
2: Um, again, it's it's. Uh, I think it really comes down to just trusting yourself. So if someone's coming to your home and offering something for sale or, um, you know, offering a service, uh, take time to think about what they're saying. You don't have to certainly give any sort of decision there. Um, you know, you, you should take the time to consider uh, whether or not they appear legitimate and whether or not the information that they give is accurate. And then you can you know, get some information from them or or contact the company directly and verify the information.
0: Sergeant, I do appreciate the time and the insight today. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Sergeant Matt Fredrickson of the Calgary Police Service, one of the many agencies that was over at Cross Iron Mills over the weekend talking about Fraud Awareness Month. Uh, if you need more information, the Canadian Anti Fraud Center, Alberta Securities Commission, uh, your banks can help you out on that front, the RCMP, Better Business Bureau, Electronic Recycling Association, as the sergeant alluded to, whether it's uh, shredding your documents, that kind of thing, all really important because the last thing you want to do, I know for myself, I ended up, uh, this was a couple of years ago had uh, got a phone call from the bank saying, yeah, your card's been compromised. And I think it was based off of, I, I tried to find out where it was, but I'm pretty sure it was at a gas station and a skimmer. And so one of those little things like just knocking on the skimmer or on the uh, the the mechanism there can maybe knock it loose. And then, you know, that's not right. So just some food for thought there. As again, we are into Fraud Awareness Month. Let's head on up to Traffic, which is uh, for Gateway, of West District by Truman. Make your place your home with customizable design options here on Calgary Today. Probably comes as no surprise, but a lot of people have been talking uh, about the downtown office vacancy rate kicking around between 25 and 30 percent. And the there's an organization that decided to di- dive into each individual um, major metropolitan area to look at how the commercial real estate market is looking. For example, Calgary. How does it look? Well, for more insight on that, we go to the CBRE Alberta Managing Director, Greg Kwong. He joins us now on the program. Greg, thanks so much for the time today. Thanks for having me. What? did your report show about calgary in particular
3: uh well the surprising thing is uh that in spite of the uh the oil-based economic downturn we we had a, a flurry of investment activity uh from uh, all across the board quite frankly uh, other regions in canada some u.s investors who really took uh, a long term view that you know calgary and alberta in general will is going to bounce back at some point so they were picking up a lot of uh, uh good assets uh uh, you know, again, uh, I think if you believe in buy low, sell high, well, people are buying low.
0: Is there a, a specific industry that is really going hard here in Calgary now, or were you able to break that break that down?
3: No, I, th- I think it's just overall. Uh, these investors looked at the um, economic data that's produced by um, you know Calgary Economic Development and, and such and they felt that this was a good time to get back into the market. They really don't see a strong surge in the tech sector or a strong resurgence of oil and gas, but just more about the overall general lay of the land is that it's a good time to get back into the market.
0: Does it dive as well into whether they're looking out into the, the burbs or into the business parks, or are they looking downtown? Is there, is it, do we get any kind of uh, lowdown that way?
3: No, it's again strange. There's no real real pattern um, that uh, one asset class really dominated, but certainly, um, I think the most attractive investments at that point of, of the year uh, in 2018 was uh, industrial real estate, and but um, uh, we did see but we did see a lot of trades in, in the even in the office market, and in spite of the high vacancies that we were experiencing, especially in the downtown core uh investors again are looking uh at the long term that this is a good time to buy low and and hopefully ride the market back up when it comes back
0: what should we be expecting heading into the next year
3: i think we still will see more of the same because we really haven't seen an uptick in the form of uh uh, prices uh escalating to a point where they're unreasonable or, or exorbitant um i think this year Uh, I think politics is the the name of the game. We've got a provincial election coming up, which um, whether or not you believe there's going to be change or not, I think there is going to be some change, whether we stay with the same party or we we move to another one. And then federally in the fall, I think you you might see a little disruption there as well. And and that's all, I think, good news for, um, because what Alberta Alberta needs is uh, politicians that do support our industry here.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, and, and we've talked a lot uh, with different groups about how all the different levels of government have kind of gotten in the way of any kind of developments. And, and so, I, I'm curious from that standpoint: is uh, depending on how the the two government or the two elections play out, how does that factor into the sense of optimism? I guess when it comes to the the, real, uh, the commercial real estate market.
3: Well, if it, it, uh, if you look at the investment climate the um, majority of the people involved in, in whether it be real, commercial real estate or a stock market is that uh, they, most people believe that both provincially and federally they've been roadblocks to uh, our recovery. Um, if you look at the federal government with their delaying uh, you know, approval of pipelines and if you look at the provincial government with some of their economic policies, again, whether or not you agree with them, um, really economic growth hasn't um, been, uh, there hasn't been any economic growth of any significance certainly during their term, so we, uh, I I think changes uh, would be good, and and that's just the general sentiment of the, but certainly the people I talk to, and um, so hopefully, yeah, we'll we'll see. Those those are what really is uh, riding on 2019, and and if you look at even more locally, our civic government, they have a good, a few big decisions they have to make in the form of potential event center and, and things like that, which could help stimulate our economy if if we
0: decide to build something like that. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Greg Kwong uh, from CBRE, thank you so much for the time today. Thank you. Just a little bit of a picture there on how the uh, commercial real estate market is looking in our city. This is Today on 770 CHQR. Team Alberta finished with 36 gold, 33 silver, and 31 bronze at the Canada Games. 100 medals total. Fantastic showing on home turf. But how'd the games go in general? We're joined now by Canada Games board chair Lynn Radford. Lynn, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon.
4: Good evening. Thank you for having
0: us. Absolutely. Talk a little bit about the games. and uh, Are you calling it a success? How did things go in Red Deer over the last couple of weeks?
4: Well, I think there's uh, uh, two words that I use to describe it. Magical, and we hit it out of the ball field. It was a home run.
0: That is fantastic to hear. What set these games apart?
4: Well, I think it was our commitment and our engagement with the community. I think that um, we had the belief right from day one that if you were going to do uh, an event this caliber, that you needed to do it right. And you know what? We didn't get everything right at first. But we did get the right, ad, we had the right attitude, and we said, you know, there will be some tweaking, and our motto is we're not going to say, no, we can't do it. We're going to say, let's see how we can do it. And um, the community got behind that motto, and let me tell you, there was 5,000 volunteers, many of them who were out in the cold, and it was not warm and red right here for those two <laughs> weeks let me tell you but they had a smile on their face even when they had face max song to help them out you could tell they were smiling
0: i can only imagine and and that was one of the things in speaking with uh, many of the athletes over the course of the last couple of weeks is they were impressed by not just the volunteers but the attendance seemed to be pretty good as well they were loving the the home field home turf home ice advantage for sure
4: well for sure and how can you beat uh But the the cherry on the top of that one was the women's hockey team, Uh underdogs going in and taking that gold medal in the last, and it was a close game 2-1. I mean, really, that type of caliber of um, athleticism was on on display for everyone, sold out crowds pretty well every venue, every time. And, um, in fact, we probably, one of our weaknesses maybe was is we didn't anticipate that as much, and a couple of our venues could have been in larger areas.
0: Yeah, it's the one thing that you kind of wish would have agreed with you, maybe a little bit better, would have been old man winter, I suppose. But when you look back on on the last couple of weeks, any lessons that you take away from it?
4: Well, um, just the lessons that um, be prepared for everything. And uh, honestly, we were m- much happier to deal with the cold than we would have dealt with above, te- um, above zero temperature. Very true. So, you know, so, it, you know, we got it. Um, we had this sub- spectacular speed skating oval that was built particular for the games to be ready on the games time. We had the opportunity to use that and it actually was fast ice and a lot of records were built, mm-hmm. bro- broke. So, you know. Really, all in all, it all went really well. A couple of delays, but no cancellations.
0: That's fantastic to hear. Talk about those volunteers. You alluded to them earlier on, but there was some there were some great stories coming out of Red Deer in terms of just the the commitment level that the community really bought into the games this year.
4: Well, it was. I mean, anytime when you get volunteers ending their shift and asking if they could work longer, that gives you a pretty good indication of what's happening. We had our team appreciation evening yesterday out late afternoon, and uh, we kind of usually plan for about half the top, showing up for these. We had over thirty-five hundred people show up for the team appreciation. They just they just couldn't get enough of it. They were just eating it up. And there is nothing but positive said by every athlete, mission staff, spectators. They just, just glowing reports about the volunteers.
0: That is fantastic. So it begs the question is, what's next? Do you guys take a couple of months off to kind of uh, take a deep breath? Or is the planning for the next games already well underway?
4: Well, the planning for the next games in Niagara are definitely well way. We had the opportunity to host both Niagara and the 2023 games since Cedar Island with us. And um, it was kind of neat because uh, their last comment was, well done, uh, Lynn Radford and team. We have some tremendously big shoes to fill. So that's always nice to hear by the next host. In Red Deer itself, we have the CFR coming in the fall. But the uh, next major um, sporting event that we know of right now is the 2021 World Juniors. Mm -hmm. And um, we're pretty excited about being part of that.
0: It's a fun time to be in central Alberta, that's for sure. Lynn, uh, great job by all accounts. Uh, fantastic Canada Games that went on. Congratulations and all the best in the planning uh, and for the years ahead because it sounds like there's going to be a bunch of activities still to come.
4: Well, that's part of the legacy that you try to build and that we're going to definitely use it. Our facilities are second to none right now. So let's... let's...
0: For sure. Lynn Radford from the Canada Games. Thank you so much for the time. Uh, This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. Thanks so much for listening to the Calgary Today podcast. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, and tune in. When you do, don't forget to write the show and leave a comment. Until next time, my friends.